Psalm chapter 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless us, the house of Israel. He will bless us, the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, he who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So good to be here with you this morning. The past couple of weeks, I've been in South Asia, seeing our our overseas uh, team there, along with uh, eight others from our our body here that got to go with us. If um, yeah, if you were on the on the trip to to South Asia, could you stand for just a moment? you were on that trip. There we go. We got several of us back. There's Elena. All right. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. So we are, we're back, back in the house of the Lord today with you all. We're so thankful. And some of us are probably still getting some rest and recovering from all that. So, but it's good to be back. So how about you guys? How are you? Doing well? Good. Good. Good to be back with you. So Last week, we finished uh, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 22. Yeah, Brother Silas preached us through that, and so we finished that. And what we're going to do here for the month of October is take a a short break before we start into the book of 2 Kings. And so today, instead of working through Kings, we're going to, as I said, take a break and go through one of the Psalms. In particular, Psalm 115. Now, why out of all the Psalms did I pick this chapter? Because when I was overseas in South Asia, this was a, a, a Psalm that we read while we were there and that I, I kept coming back to over and over again. And I believe the Lord was just bringing me back to this and encouraging me this, uh, through this and teaching me about this Psalm. And so... As I was thinking about taking a short break from the book of Kings, um, this psalm was um, really on the forefront uh, of my mind. And so, but little did I know uh, before I studied it in depth to prepare it for a sermon, um, really the true content in the heart of this psalm. 
And what I didn't know in South Asia that I know now is that this song is, is really a battle cry um, and a war prayer for the people of God against the uh, darkness and the oppression and the taunting of the world. So the uh, title for my sermon today is going to be Be Zealous for the Glory of God. Be Zealous for the Glory of God. And this really is the war cry of this psalm. The war cry of this psalm is to be passionate and to be zealous for God's glory. Does everybody know what a war cry is? That's an important concept because I'm going to talk about it again and again. So I want to make sure that's clear. So the the war cry or the, the battle cry is the is the statement that reminds us of our purpose for going into battle. It's a statement that reminds us of our purpose going into battle. So every army needs a battle cry, right? Why are we fighting this battle? That's, you got to have that figured out. (laughs) Because the battle is going to be hard. It's going to be intense. And you need to remember your purpose. Why are you engaging in this fight? If you remember the uh, American Revolution, one of the battle cries, right, was give me liberty or give me death. Hey, it's one or the other. I'm going to be free or I'm going to die, but I'm going I'm to give my life for this purpose. Give me liberty or give me death. That was a battle cry of the American Revolution. But what about the church? What are we going to war for? What's the purpose? Well, the war cry of the church is for the glory of God. We are going to battle for God's glory. We're going to battle for righteousness' sake. This is what, this is what we fight for. And we remember in the, in the New Testament scriptures that, that we're not talking about a physical battle here. We're talking about a spiritual battle, okay? A war against an an unseen realm of the powers of darkness. And we see that the the manifestation of the influence of those powers in the world all around us. We see a war that's happening against God's glory and against righteousness. Think about the world around us. I'll give you several examples. First, We know that there is a silent Holocaust happening of the unborn in our country. There's a war against righteousness, a war against the image of God in life itself. We know that children are being deceived about their sexuality in government-funded public schools. And our taxes, some of our taxes are paying for this, right? In our nation, children are being abducted and sold into slavery by the thousands in our nation. And what about our nation? What does it stand for? Did you know that the industry of pornography is one of the most profitable industries in the nation, if not the most profitable in our nation? While most nations are known for various exports, industries, or technology, America is known for selling sexual sin. 
There's a war going on against God's glory, against his righteousness. There's violence in the streets of our neighborhood. We see, again, the spiritual war manifesting in, in the, the events and the people and the places around us. This past week, just down the street from our house, I, I was in the backyard and I heard uh, three gunshots. So I, I went to the front yard because it was unmistakable that, you know, it wasn't fireworks or anything else. It was like, man, that was definitely gunfire. So I went to the front of my house and just down the street, there were some apartments and there were, there were some people running out of the apartments and one of them was hobbling as if maybe he had been shot or injured. Uh, they had guns, they were jumping in a car. They sped off. A few minutes, the same car came back. Then another car came back and there were guns and people running everywhere. <laughs> the police converging on the scene. It's just, uh, you could see the, the spiritual battle becoming manifest, if you will. And as I mentioned earlier, I just returned from a country where there are hundreds of millions of people worshiping false gods. And I saw the church there in South Asia that is desperate for discipleship and mobilization. But the pastors barely have enough money to put food on their tables. So how can they give themselves to work in full-time ministry? As we, as we think about the battle that's waging all around us, if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to despair and hopelessness. So we can see clearly that the world is waging war against God and against his righteous ways. And all the while the church is being taunted, what are you going to do about this? We're being intimidated. We're being backed into a corner. What are you going to do about this? Brothers and sisters, I just want to pause and ask you, do you, do you feel the effects of this battle? Do you see the... the, the the spiritual war and the effects of the spiritual war happening all around us. And do you feel the effects of that? In returning from South Asia, I, I experienced spiritual warfare in a, in a whole new way. I would say that in, the, in, in our neighborhood, we often experience warfare, spiritual warfare. We're not strangers to it. And yet to go overseas to that context and to come back here... It was a whole new level. I was, I was honestly stunned. I was amazed by it. So what we need in the church is a battle cry. <laughs> in the face of this battle, in the face of this war, we need a battle cry. And we need a war prayer. We need firepower if we're going into this battle. We dare not go into the battle unarmed. And we dare not be disarmed in the battle. We have to know the weapons of our warfare. We have to have faith in the weapons that God gives us. He gives us His Word. It is powerful. And I am, I am begging you to remember this psalm. And I am asking you to come back to this psalm the next time that you feel discouraged, the next time you feel like you are drowning, the next time that you feel like the darkness is closing in, the next time that you feel hopeless, like the darkness is going to win, come back to this psalm because it is a war cry. It is a battle prayer for the people of God. 
I want to give you the outline of this song. And I think this will be one of the most important things that I give you today. Okay? I'm going to do my best to walk through this song, preach through this song, help you understand this song. But I I, I really hope and pray that, that you'll take this outline and that you'll go back later and you'll study this psalm for yourself and that this outline will help you to see in a very crystal clear way. Like this is the way the psalm is laid out. This is what he's talking about. And now that I know this and I understand this, I can rely on this. Okay, so let me give you this outline. Verse one is a battle cry or a war prayer for the people of God. A battle cry. A war prayer for the people of God. Verse 2. Verse 2. The nations pick a fight with God's people. Verse 2. The nations pick a fight with God's people. They're taunting God's people. Verse 3 is the believer's response. Verse 3 is the believer's response. The nation's taunt and the believer's response is in verse 3. Verses 4 to 8, we see fighting words from the people of God. We see fighting words from the people of God in verses 4 through 8. In verses 9 through 11, there's a call to arms. A call to arms. A call to arms. Verses 12 and 13, we have assurance of salvation based on God's character. In verses 12 and 13, we have assurance of salvation based on God's character. Verses 14 and 15, we see a prayer for the spoils of war. Verses 14 and 15, a prayer for the spoils of war. And verses 16 through 18, a summary of the battle and the supreme confidence of the believer. Verses 16 through 18, a summary of the battle and the supreme confidence of the believer. So there's a spiritual battle raging all around us. We feel the effects of it. We need a battle cry and a war prayer. That's what God gives us in this psalm. In verse 1, let's go through the outline that we just talked about. Verse 1 is the battle cry. Not to us, O Yahweh. Not to us, but to your name, Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. This is the heart's desire and cry and the prayer of the people who are singing this psalm, who are praying this psalm. 
Not to us, O Yahweh. Not to us. But to your name. To your name give glory. Look how zealous he is for the glory of God. Not to us, O Yahweh. But to your name give glory. And he says it twice. Not to us, O Yahweh. Not to us. But to your name give the glory. As we're going into battle. This is our war cry. God be glorified. Look how zealous he is. Not to us, O God. Definitely not to us. No matter what, not to us, but to your name. God gets the glory. I feel like this is, this is such gold that I, I, I'm sharing with you right now. That If this is the only thing that you walked out with today, it would be worth your time. That in the spiritual battle, as you face and fight against the darkness, you must be zealous for the glory of God. You can't worry about yourself. You can't think about yourself. You can't feel sorry for yourself. You've got to be passionate about one thing. If you think about yourself, you're going to sink. If you're going to think about how you're suffering, you are going to sink. You've got to remember that this is all about God's glory. What is God doing in this world? He is working all things together for good for those who love him so that he might be glorified, so that he might be praised. And if you can remember that God's agenda is to be glorified, and if you can be zealous about that agenda... You are going to succeed in whatever God's purposes are for you in the midst of that trial. But you have to be zealous for his glory. God's people who have a heart for him are zealous and passionate about his glory. I'll show you this in two places. Turn with me to Psalm 57. We must be passionate about his glory, must be zealous about him. That is the heart of the, this psalm. This is the war cry. For the glory of God. Look at Psalm 57. You've got to understand when Psalm 57 was written, David was on the run from Saul. He was suffering greatly. He was an outcast. He was an outlaw. And here he is hiding in a cave, suffering But look at David's prayer. Just listen to this. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. There's a storm raging. There's a battle that's being waged. I feel the effects of it, he says. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. But listen to his plea and his prayer right now. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Is that what you pray when you're suffering like David was? 
when you're in the midst of the battle, when you feel like you're being dragged under by the undertow and the current, is this your prayer? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. God, be glorified. Are you zealous for the glory of God no matter what it costs you? They set a net for my steps, verse 6. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's the refrain in this psalm. When David is suffering. When there's a net set for his steps and his soul is bowed down and there's a pit in his way. And it just looks like he's going to be pushed into his grave. And God rescues and God delivers. And he says, God, be glorified. See the passion he has for the glory of God. And, and I don't know if you remember Psalm 115. But it was the same thing that said, God, not to us, but to your name. Be the glory for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The same thing that David is, is experiencing here in this psalm. This is why we glorify God. This is why pray, we pray that he's glorified. Because of who he is and his nature. And his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Now turn with me to the New Testament. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. If you remember this story, this is right before Jesus is going to the cross. And it's weighing heavily on him. But this is what he says in John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled by the weight of what is going to happen, he's saying. Because the cross. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. What did Jesus pray when he was facing Calvary? What did Jesus pray when he was facing the wrath of God for all of our sin? For the most severest punishment, the most unfathomable uh, trial, the, 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 the worst. God, glorify your name. Look at his passion. Look at his zeal for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, like I say, it, if that's the only thing you walk away with today is like the next time I hit a trial, I am going to start praying. Instead of complaining, instead of being selfish and thinking about myself and my sorrows, I am going to start praying. I'm going to kick it into high gear immediately and start asking God to be glorified. No matter what, no matter how much I suffer, no matter how hard this is, I'm going to pray that God will be lifted up and exalted.
and glorified. We have to be passionate about this. If we're going to succeed in the battle, let's go back to Psalm 115. Verse 1, a battle cry or a war prayer. God be glorified. Because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We're going to come back to that. We're going to see the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God played out through the, through the rest of the song. So we'll come back to that. But in verse 2, we see that the nations are picking a fight with God's people. Now, this is initially why I, I was thinking about this psalm in South Asia, because in South Asia, uh, the predominant re- religion is Hinduism. And so there are, uh, you know, statues everywhere of the Hindu gods. I mean, literally everywhere. You, you, you jump in a taxi car, you know, they got the they got their statues right there on the dashboard. Uh, you go into a store, the statues are everywhere. You, you just... You, you, you walk down the street, the temples are everywhere. You see the, the idols everywhere. And so it, it made me think about verse 2 because the nations are saying, where is their God? So picture this in ancient times. You have the battle lines being drawn up. You have Israel on this side and you have the, the whatever nations are, are attacking them coming from this direction. And as the, as the enemy approaches, they have all of their idols and they have all of their gods on their carts and they have them on the front of the battle line. Can you see the enemy battle lines with the idols uh, standing there and they, they haul them into battle and they, and they say, you know, these are our gods and, and we're coming against you, O Israel. And they look over there at Israel and they see, they're like, they're confused. Where, where, where's their God? What is this all about? Who are these people? Who do they think they are? Look at our gods. These big, massive gods that we worship. We, we brought uh, Dagon. We brought Baal from, from our temple. And we brought him to the front lines of the battle. But what these Jews, where, where is their God? Well, he's the invisible God. And you can see the nations picking a fight, taunting the people of God. Where's your God? Where is he? What's he going to do for you? How is he going to help you? The nations and their words discouraging, insulting. But in verse three, we see the believer's response. There's a reason that you don't see our gods. Or our God. There's a reason that we're not bringing him in on a cart. Because our God is different than your God. Our God is superior to your God. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That is our response. We are taunted by the world. We are put down by the world. We are discouraged. We look at the circumstances and we... And it's troubling and depressing. We go back to this reality about our God. He is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. There is nothing that can stop him from accomplishing his purposes. If it's true that our God can do all that he pleases, there is nothing that can stop him. He is infinitely powerful. He's unlimited in his abilities.
I is a person, you as a person, we are very limited, right? Thinking about how much I can bench press, I, I might be able to put up 150 pounds these days, maybe. Been a long time. 150 pounds, that's, that's my back, that's all I can do. I'm so weak, I'm so limited. Peyton can probably do twice that, okay? But that's all he can do. He could only do 250, 275, whatever it is, but that's it. Our God is in the heavens. He can do all that He pleases. He is totally unlimited. Not to be trivial with these examples, but I can fix the alternator on my car, but I can't fix the transmission. I have to take that to the shop. Totally limited. If I need to do wiring on my house, I have to call Jared Trammell. Because I can't. There's only so much I can do. I don't have a lot of money. I have health problems. I get scared of my own shadow. But not our God. And if we believe in this guy, we have nothing to worry about. He's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. His love is steadfast. He's faithful. His love is steadfast, brothers and sisters. You know what that means? It means that it's permanent. It means that it's fixed. It means that it's perfect. The love of God, it can never become any greater than it already is. And if you are a child of his then his love for you will never be any less than what it already is. It's perfect. And he can do anything that he wants. He can rescue us from any trial that he wants. He has the power. And he's in control of all things. One commentary said, the pagan's pride in what he can see, that is his idols, in his contempt for what he cannot see, are flung back at him. A God too great to tie down to any image or even to the earth itself, who is not the prisoner of circumstances, but their master. This is a God to glory in. He does all that he pleases. In verses 4 through 8, in light of who God is, of course, we can, we can just hurl back the fighting words right back at the, at the enemy. Right? I mean, th- these, I want you to see that these are, these are fighting words. This, this is like trash talking going back and forth. Right? Like, hey, where's your God? Where is he? What, what's he going to do? How's he going to help you in this battle? Your God's weak. And Israel goes, oh no, to the contrary, our God's in heaven, he can do all that he pleases. Your gods are weak. (laughs) You see what he says? If you guys have ever seen a a heavyweight, you know, boxing championship, before the fight, there's always this like press conference, right? And there's a bunch of trash talking that goes on. That's, That's what's happening here. The nations are lining up for battle. They're like, where's your God? What is this, some kind of joke? And Israel says, well, our God, he, he, he can't be contained in a, in a rock. 
And we don't have to carry him around on a cart. He's in heaven. He's the supreme being. He's in charge of all things. Our God is sovereign. Your gods, on the other hand, in verse 4, are silver and gold, merely the work of human hands. Yes, your gods are shiny. Yes, your gods are valuable, materially speaking. But they are worthless. They cannot save you. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to trust in a God, trust in the one who can save you. Put your faith and put your trust in a God who can really save. The gods of the nations cannot save. They are the work of human hands. Look, they have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. Ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. Hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. They are totally lifeless. And therefore, they are utterly worthless. And they cannot save. Those who make them become like them. Totally worthless. Dead. And so do all who trust in them. These are fighting words. Your idols, your gods are worthless and they cannot save. In verses 9 through 11, we see a call to arms, which is a call to trust. The gods of the nations are worthless. Everything that the world trusts in besides the one true God cannot save. On the day of danger, in the day of battle, on the day of darkness, on the day of attack. There's only one God who can rescue. Therefore, trust him. O Israel, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. You who fear Yahweh, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. I want you to see that this is battle language. He's calling on the entire nation. He's like, trust. As you go into battle, trust in your God. He is their help and their shield. What is it that you need in battle? You need God's help and you need God's protection. Next, he calls on the house of Aaron. Aaron, especially you, out of all the house of Israel, especially you, trust in the Lord. Why does he say this to the house of Aaron? Well, if you look in many of the Old Testament stories, it was the house of Aaron. It was the house. It was the priests who would lead into battle. Because they were the they were the the worshipers in some battles, they would carry the Ark of the Covenant. But in other battles, they were just put on the front lines. Can you imagine being one of the priests? It's like you're on the front line of the battle and all you have is like a shofar or some musical instrument because the way that they led into battle was with worship of their God and they would praise God and they would worship him. So if you're in the house of Aaron and you know you're going to be on the front lines of battle, you need some extra encouragement here. You house of Aaron, you worship leaders, you priesthood that are going to be in front of my people. You trust in Yahweh. He will be your help and your shield. Trust him. 
I told Ashanti today, I said, hey, you got a really important job today. You're not just leading some songs on the stage. You're leading us into battle. The worship team leading the church into battle. In the Old Testament, same thing. Worship team leading the people of God into battle. You can go back and read in Joshua chapter 6, the battle of Jericho. Who was it on the front lines? It was the Levites. It was the priesthood. And I'm going to show you another story as we finish up the day here as an illustration of this psalm in action. And once again, you're going to see the house of Aaron on the front lines. You who fear the Lord, trust in Yahweh, verse 11. He is their help and their shield. So everyone else who wants to join the battle, this is not just Israel or the the priesthood, but this is everybody. Remember the story about Rahab? When they were going to, you know, attack the city of Jericho and they sent the spies. Well, Rahab had faith in the true God. She feared Yahweh. And so she joined Yahweh's army. Or what about the book of Ruth that the women are studying in DBS? Right? Ruth was not a true Israelite, but she became one, so to speak, by faith. So there's a call here. This is not just for the the nation of Israel, the, the, the Jews by heritage. This is for anyone who wants to put their faith in this awesome, true, sovereign, saving God. You come, you join the battle too. So what should we do when the battle's waging and when it's discouraging and dark? We should trust in the Lord. We remember and we pray and we ask God, God, you be glorified through this. Somehow, some way, you be glorified. And I will trust in you because your loving kindness reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. You keep your promises just like we were praying earlier. So the song that we sang earlier today, the, the, the first one about the battle, right? That was not planned, by the way. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, God planned it. I'll say that. But I didn't plan that. I didn't say, hey, Ashanti, pick this song. But the song was about the battle. And there was, there was a line in there about, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know that we're going to win the fight. Something like that, right? The idea here is that within God's sovereign plan and His workings in our lives, we'll find ourselves in many times just confused, wondering, what's happening? How is this all going to work out? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my church? What's going to happen to... Whoever, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. That's such a simple, timeless, biblical message. Put your trust in the Lord. Now, I know you trusted the Lord yesterday, and I know you trusted Him last week, and I know you trusted Him last year, but now, today, in this battle, in this fight, you have to trust the Lord again. And you're going to have to do it again and again and again. It's always the same. This is the battle cry. We trust in the Lord. What are you going to do, Samuel? What are you going to do about this problem? 
I'm going to start by trusting in the Lord. I'm going to start by praying that God would be glorified. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start by shutting out the voices that want to get into my head and say, hey, where's your God? Where is he now? And I'm going to come back to the true picture of who God is. I'm going to come back to a God-sized vision of who God is. I've got to have a God-sized vision. I've got to remember that my God is big. He is huge. He is mighty. He is powerful. And I don't just sing that on Sunday mornings. I believe it during the week. And so do you. You believe that message. You have to remember who God is. And my God, he's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I don't know why all hell is breaking loose right now, but I know that God's got the fire contained. I know that he's aware. I know that he cares. You're not going to convince me that my God doesn't care. Because his love is steadfast and he is faithful to the covenant promises. And by his grace, I'm a part of his family. And so he's going to take care of me. What if something tragic happens? What if you even die in the, in the midst of this trial? Well, according to this, I will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So not even death is going to stop Samuel Nelson from giving God the praise. By his grace and for his glory. Hallelujah. You've got to have a God-sized vision of God. Is your God in the heavens? Does he do all that he pleases? Is he unstoppable? Is he mighty? Does he care? Is he good? Is he sovereign? Yes, go back to those truths. Remind yourself of those truths. Sing those truths. Remind each other of those truths. I don't know why this is happening. This is terrible, but God is sovereign. God is good. He is able to work all things together. And we're going to trust him. You've got to remember how big he is. I believe that all of our personal turmoil and anxieties and depression and discouragement goes back to the fact that we have forgotten about how big and how great and how glorious our God is. And we need to pray and we need to trust and we need to ask him, God, open my eyes again. Show me your glory. Remind me who you are. Let me see it again, God. I need a God-sized vision of you again. We have to trust him. Verses 9 through 11, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Three times, right? We know that when the biblical writers repeat Things three times. They're just emphasizing it, 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 it as much as they possibly can. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? God cannot possibly be any holier. One, two, three. Trust Him, trust Him, trust Him. This is what we're called to do. Trust Him. And look at how God rewards the trust. In verses 12 and 13, we have an assurance of salvation based on God's character. Yahweh has remembered us. Ah, he didn't forget us. We felt forsaken. We felt abandoned. But those were just feelings. Those were just lies trying to get into our head, into our processing to affect our faith. 
But the reality is that Yahweh has remembered us and he will bless us. I love that the Hebrew form of the word here is it's it's in a tense that that it's it's expressing this word in the most intense fashion. That he will bless us like God is just going to pour out his blessing on you. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear him, both the small and the great. Every last person who fears him. Jew, Gentile, you, me, whoever fears this God and trusts him will be blessed. He remembers. He doesn't forget. Isaiah 49, verses 13 through 16. Let me read these to you. Along these same lines that that God remembers us, okay? Isaiah 49. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. It is impossible for God to forget you. He will not abandon you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He is with you always to the end of the age. It's good to be reminded. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. How will he bless us? Well, he is our help and our shield. He comes to the rescue. He fights the battle. He carries us through. He loves us. He comforts us. Looking at verses 14 and 15, we see a prayer for the spoil of war. May the Lord give you increase You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. I say this is a prayer for the spoils of war because this is a petition at this point. He's saying, may may God give you increase. May you return from the battle in, in better shape than before. Brothers and sisters, that will preach. May you return from the battle in better form, in better shape than you were before the battle. You say the trials are so hard, the darkness is so deep, I'm so discouraged, I'm so weary. Trust me, on the other side of that trial, you will be twice the man or woman that you were before it. As you trusted God in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the trial, 
He will bring you through on the other side wealthier and better off and more refined and more sanctified than you were if you had never been through the trial. When you say wealthy, no, I don't mean you're going to come out with millions of dollars. But I I do mean spiritual riches and treasure. Love, joy, peace, patience, greater fruit, greater, greater faithfulness after the battle. May the Lord give you increase. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Remember the words of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. I'll back up to verse 8. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Fight the good fight. Engage in the battle, Peter says. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. After the battle, may you be strengthened, confirmed, restored, and established. May you come out with greater riches and blessing than before the battle. That's why God brings the trials into our lives. Honestly, brothers and sisters, I I know that we're called to be faithful in the midst of trials. But I have seen that even when I have fallen in battle, so to speak, even when I have failed to be faithful, God has shown me his faithfulness. God brings the trials in our lives to teach us to be faithful, yes. But he teaches us that he is faithful regardless. And he wants us to know him more. He wants us to experience his power at a deeper level. I I came back to, you know, the U.S. this week and I... I just felt like I just got like literally plowed over by the enemy. <laughs> like just like his tire treads were on my back, you know, like he just ran me over. Like I was not expecting the, the attack. Of, of, why wouldn't I? You're coming back from doing the work of God overseas. You're coming back to tell the church of all the wonderful things that happened. You're coming back to encourage the church to really be praying for the church overseas because they need us desperately to pray. I can't tell you how many of these pastors came up to me, just held on my arm. Brother, just pray for us. They did not ask me for a a dime. Did not ask me for money. They said, please, please pray for us. And so I'm coming back to my church family to say, This is what happened. This is what the needs are. We need to mobilize our people to go. We need to be praying. We need to be faithful. Of course, I'm I'm coming back with like all the, I'm just like bags and bags full of treasure, if you will, that God gave me on this trip. Of course, I'm going to get held up in a dark alley, so to speak. Like, hey, where do you think you're going? (laughs) We got to have a word with you and just get just beat up. (laughs) 
That's how I felt coming back to the U.S. Just like worked over, beat up, floored. I mean, it sounds dramatic, but I did not want to go on with life. I know it sounds dramatic. Yes, I'm emotional. I'm that kind of, I can be, but I'm telling you, like I was not expecting that kind of an attack against my soul when I returned. It was painful and it was difficult. And I don't think I handled it very well. <laughs> and I think God let me get into that place this week so he could teach me this song. He could say, you know what you needed? You know what you needed when you're down on the ground, when you're just like totally down and discouraged and you were even just kind of drifting off into like some, some just who knows what kind of sin that, that, that the enemy was tempting me towards and leading me down off into. It's like, you know what you needed in that moment, Samuel? You needed the power and the words and the message of this psalm burning in your heart like a fire. You need to be faithful to come back and you need to sound out the war cry and you needed to pray that God would be glorified. And you needed to trust in Yahweh and you needed to experience His deliverance. God showed me, though, although I did not handle the trial well, and although I needed to really learn this lesson the hard way, he did show me that he was faithful. He did not, he did not let me veer off the path. He saved me from crashing, from shipwrecking, from everything else, from any other harm that I could have done to myself or to my family or to my church. He saved me from all that. And he brought me right back to where I need to be. And he stood me back on my feet. And he filled me with his Holy Spirit. And he taught me his word. And here I am, (laughs) by the grace of God, praising the Lord because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. That's why I'm here today. That's why you're here today. Be encouraged. I have the Lord has given me increase. Verse 14, the Lord has given me increase. And it's not just affected me, it's affected me and my children. I have come home from the battlefield. Yes, I got beat up, but God has restored me. And I have a deeper knowledge and understanding and appreciation of God than I did before I went through those trials. You see what I'm saying? Do you see why God takes you into these trials? Do you see why he lets you experience these these dark times and these, these hard things? Because he wants to teach you something about himself that's glorious, that's wonderful. That at the end of the day, you will be just like this psalm. Look at the very last thing that's said in the psalm. What's the very last thing? Praise the Lord, right? That's the Hebrew word, hallelujah. That's how the psalm ends, hallelujah. How did it start? As a war cry for God to be glorified. What happens in the middle of the psalm? Well, we're... It's a call to arms. We have to trust in the Lord. He will be our shield. He will be our protection. How does the psalm end? In victory. Hallelujah. It starts, God be glorified. It ends in praise. God glorifies Himself and God gets praised. In verses 16 through 18, we see a summary of the battle and the supreme confidence of the believer. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. 
But the earth he has given to the children of man. It's a reminder of God's sovereignty. Where is God? Well, he's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. All of us, we're down in the earth, on the earth. Why? Because God said, this is where you live. I live up here. You live down there. We're not given the option. We don't get to tell God that, you know, heaven looks like a better place to be. I'd rather be there. Why don't you, you know? No, God says, you live down here. You think about fathers, the head of their homes. They put their children where they want them to live, right? We see God's sovereignty here. We're reminded that he's in the heavens. And then we see how the battle finishes. The final standing of those who are in the battle. Verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. According to this psalm, who are the dead? Those who serve the idols, who serve the works of their hands. And he says, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But then we also see those who trusted in him in verse 18. But we will bless Yahweh from this time forth and forever. So this is how the battle ended. Those who did not trust in Yahweh, they fell and they do not praise the Lord. But those who trusted and believed in Yahweh are praising him and worshiping him and celebrating him from this time forth and forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God fears we'll be on the winning side in the end. I want to close my time today by showing you uh, how this, this psalm plays out in real life. Now, we do not know the, the, the backstory of this psalm. We don't know when it was written, why it was written. But when I show you this story that I'm about to, to read... It's there's such a perfect parallel between this psalm and this story. It it makes me wonder if if it was written about the same time. But go ahead and turn with me back in your Bibles to Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. And as I read this story, I want you to see Psalm 115 in action. Okay? And everybody remembers Jehoshaphat because he was the, uh, the second king in the story from last week's sermon, right? So this, this goes back to, to Jehoshaphat's life. And we're going to just read verses 1 through 30. And as we do, I just want you to be listening for echoes of Psalm 115. And I want you to think about the principles that we talked about today and how they come into play in this story, okay? And this is how we're going to end. Just let God's word speak speak to your heart. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So the nations drew up the battle lines. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. From beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And then Jehoshaphat was afraid 
Ah, he was afraid, but he set his face to seek Yahweh and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help. He is our help and our shield. They assembled to seek help from Yahweh. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek Yahweh. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of Yahweh before the new court. And he said, O Yahweh, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all, all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. You see him coming back to that God-sized vision of God, reminding himself of who his God is, even though he's afraid. He's like, but God, I know that you're, you rule over the nations. Verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? God, remember your promises. You are a faithful God who remembers your people. You remember the promises that you made to Abraham and to his descendants. Verse 8. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, God, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, right? Verse 13, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the spirit of Yahweh came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite, of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says Yahweh to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of Yahweh on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and Yahweh will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before Yahweh, worshiping Yahweh and the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korah. Korahites stood up to praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in Yahweh your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to Yahweh and praise him in holy attire, as they went before the army. 
and say, give thanks to Yahweh for his steadfast love endures forever. So that was the worship song that the band was playing when they went into battle. Give thanks to Yahweh for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing in praise, Yahweh set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were better off after the battle than before they went into it, weren't they? They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. <laughs> On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, which means blessing, by the way. They assembled in the valley of blessing, for there they blessed Yahweh. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Barakah, or blessing, to this day. And they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with Joy, hallelujah, hallelujah. For Yahweh had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. Isn't that awesome? What a story. The battle cry. What should our prayer be? God be glorified. What should we do? Trust in the Lord. What will be the final result? Praise. I'll say that again. What should our prayer be? God be glorified. What should we do? Trust. And the final result will be praise. Psalm 115 for the people of God today. Let's pray. And I'll get the worship team to lead us in triumphant praise here. Heavenly Father God, we, we thank you for this day. And we come into, in, into this house today. Um, some of us, no doubt, even many of us who are weary and discouraged from the battle. And we feel like we're fighting a losing battle against maybe our own sin. Or maybe against the, 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 the discouragement that's coming from the world. Or even against the powers of dark, darkness themselves. And we come into this place weary from the battle, maybe even, uh, you know, defeated in battle this week. But we come back together today to rally around the battle cry, God be glorified, be magnified, and we trust in you. And we, re we repent of anything that's, that's holding us back and hindering us from serving you. And God, will you bless us? And God, will you give us the increase? And God, would you help us? Would you help your people today? Would you help the poor in spirit, God? Would you relieve them of their burdens? Your burden is, your yoke is easy and your burden is light, Lord. Would you strengthen and encourage and comfort your people? God, would you open our eyes today to see your glory and to remind us of who you are. God, give us a God-sized vision of who you are 
You are in the heavens and you do all that you please. Help us to trust you, Lord. And we pray that you be glorified and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.